Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. As I'm speaking with you today, we're just now beginning the season of Advent, which of course on the Christian calendar encompasses the four weeks or so just before Christmas. Spiritually speaking, Advent is a sacred time of waiting, watching, and preparing for the coming of Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. As such, Advent is also a time for us to reflect on what all that means for you and for me, and about what lay at the heart of this holiday, this holy day that we call Christmas. Well, that's the subject of today's message. Actually, it's the beginning of a series of messages in this season that we're calling At the Heart of Christmas. And based on Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 14 through 16, here's the first message in that series. At the heart of Christmas is hope. Well, as we have been saying throughout this worship this morning is that it is the first Sunday of Advent. And it's been aptly stated, I should share with you this morning, that Advent is a season for feeling out of kilter. And and it makes sense to me when I hear that, because really, when you think about it for a little while, you realize that Advent really is a season of contrasts. I mean, after all, what else can be said about of a time of the year when we find ourselves uh, waiting somewhere between darkness on the one hand and light on the other? When, on the one hand, we in the church literally will take weeks to light our Advent candles, one tiny little flame at a time. And yet the rest of the world, well, they've already long since engaged in holiday light fights, complete with 20-foot-tall illuminated inflatable Santa Clauses, which are great, but a little bit different than what we do here. It's, It's a time when our liturgical color is purple. And everything else, everywhere else in the world right now is red and green and silver and gold. Who decided that? It's a time when sacred music, well, it tends to be in the minor key, shall we say. It's, it's low and, and, and slow and reflective. And this is while even the airwaves are being filled to overflowing with sounds of Santa and Rudolph and Mariah Carey. It's a time when waiting and watching stands in stark contrast with a a month-long season of running around, hurrying to get things done, trying to get everything in on time. Yes, Advent for us is a season of contrast, but more than simply a matter of rushing the season, and much more seriously now, I would suggest to you that the season of Advent is a time in which we find ourselves in the words of one Ann Stewart, a professor at Princeton Seminary, caught between, she says, joyful expectation and 
the harsh realities of the present condition, all while we wait for a promise to be fulfilled. So that, I suppose, is ultimately what becomes so challenging about Advent. Because even as we spend these days waiting and watching and preparing for light coming into the world in the guise of a child in a manger, we are painfully aware that in this world we are still, to use the words of Isaiah the prophet, we are still walking in darkness. We still are a people who live in a land of deep darkness. Advent, Christmas comes later, but now Advent serves to remind us that you and I live in a rather unsettling tension between the reality of what is and what is promised to be. And yes, getting back to what I said earlier, that has a way of throwing us off kilter. Because how are we supposed to live in glad expectation of a righteous kingdom to come when all around there is fear and foreboding, there's conflict and confusion, and there's a roaring tumult of a world that's caught up in, in all kinds of sorrow and death and destruction. Advent, writes Trajan McGill, finds us right here, right now, in the thick of it all. And knowing all that to be true, still, in the midst of all of that, friends, what did we do here this morning? How did you and I presume to enter into the sacred season of waiting and watching? We lit a candle. We had the utter audacity this morning to have Chris lead us in lighting a candle, a candle of hope. And not only that, with prayer and song and after the manner of of the prophet Jeremiah in our text for this morning, in the face of everything else that's going on in this crazy, confused, conflicted world, We have today boldly proclaimed the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I have made. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when the Messiah, the righteous branch springing up out of David, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And everything that God has ever promised us, healing and security, prosperity and joy, true peace and restoration, love, all of it will come to pass. These days, friends, are surely coming. This is the hope of Advent, and it is the hope that lay at the very heart of Christmas. Hope that is even now finding its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel. Hope that changes everything. Now, I realize that for us, what hasn't changed is that you and I are 
still living in this time between the now and the not yet. And for us to say these words, surely the days are coming, is also uh, to suggest, to say right out that those days are yet to come. And perhaps even feel to us like they're still far, far away in the future. But knowing that, that's how we can also say this is where true hope comes in. And why I think it's important to enter into this season hearing this promise in the context of Jeremiah's story. You see, as we're picking up the readings this morning that Chris shared with us, Jerusalem, you see, has been completely devastated in the Babylonian invasion. This is somewhere around, I think I read 657 B.C., which means it's close to, or 587 B.C., excuse me, and it's about over 600 years before the birth of Christ. And in this invasion, the people of Israel have been scattered from their homeland. They have been living life in exile. And literally, friends, understand that just about everything regarding their way of life and faith has been completely overturned, not entirely unlike what we are reading about today, where that part of the world is concerned. Something else we ought to realize, too, is whatever we might think when we hear this story from Scripture, what it must have looked or felt like for these people, we need to accept and understand it was much, much worse than anything we can imagine. We need to picture... Cities all burned out and littered with dead bodies and slaughtered animals throughout a devastated countryside. We need to see in our mind's eye the entire city and the temple, the temple in ruins. God's judgment has begun to fall, writes preacher and writer, the Reverend Stan Mast. So there is death and terror deprivation and sorrow everywhere. And as for the prophet himself, as for the man uh, whose word from the Lord and unto the people is central to this, this story, as for the prophet himself, Jeremiah is spending this time, these days, languishing in a squalid prison cell. And this is the result of, well, Jeremiah being Jeremiah. We talked about this quite a bit at our Wednesday Bible study this past week. And, and, and one of my favorite quotes about Jeremiah actually comes from the late, great Frederick Beekner. He said about Jeremiah, there was nothing in need of denunciation that Jeremiah did not denounce. And, of course, when you denounce everything that inevitably gets you in trouble with the powers that be. And, and in this case, it was pretty ironic considering that pretty much everything that Jeremiah had ever prophesied unto, uh, unto the people of Israel and Judah actually did happen. Everything he said was going to happen to Israel had happened. It came to pass. And yet he's in jail for his trouble. So what you have here, basically, at that moment in time, God's judgment had reached its depth. The world was 
at its lowest point, to say the very least, and all appeared completely devoid of anything even remotely resembling hope. But then something happened, something wonderful, something life-changing, something hopeful. Because just when Israel decided, resolved itself to the fact that there was no hope at all, ever and ever again, through Jeremiah, God speaks an unexpected word, and it's a word of hope. Actually, you know, what's interesting about this is that God is actually repeating a promise that he had made before about the restoration of Israel. I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. First, he talks about how there's going to be a new covenant, and the law is not going to be written on paper, but it's going to be written in the hearts of the people. And then he goes one step further, and he says, I will fulfill this promise, or the Lord will fulfill this promise. And here says the Lord, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout from the old stump of David's lineage. He will do what's right and just in the land. Quite a promise to be making. Quite a word of hope in such a horrible situation and circumstance. But it gets even better. Jeremiah speaks the word of the Lord and says, In, these, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. This is how it will be known. The Lord is our righteousness. Wow. Now, just as, as, as I hope you realize the gravity of this situation, please understand the power of what is being said here. That in the worst of all possible circumstances, and in a time when in many ways it was judgment that was being called for and not grace, here is God reaffirming a sure and certain promise of redemption and life and saying it directly to the people he had named and claimed as his own. And he did so so that Israel could, in fact, live their lives in hope, to be hopeful until all was fulfilled. It is no mistake, you see, nor any exaggeration at all that this particular section of the Old Testament book of Jeremiah is often referred to as the book of consolation. Because in their deepest despair, God consoled his people with true and unending hope. This is the hope for which we lit a candle this morning, friends. And I'll say it again. This is an Advent hope. And it is the hope that lay at the heart of Christmas. Of course, you and I, you know, when we talk about hope, mostly, I suspect, we are talking about our desire or expectation that good things are going to happen, right? We hope Christmas will go well this year, right? 
Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of snow, you know, not enough to close everything down or to get messy or to make driving difficult, but a little bit of white fluffy snow so that we can listen to Bing Crosby and say, yeah. We hope that we'll get our shopping done. We hope we'll get all the decorations up. We hope that everything will unfold the way it should. And we hope for other things too. We hope you'll be feeling better. We hope that you'll soon be over whatever it is that's going around right about now. We hope that the people we love and we care about will have a better time of it. You know, that's what we hope for, that kind of thing. And, and, and I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with that either. Hope is accurately described as a vision for better things, better days ahead. What we need to understand is that the kind of hope we're talking about here is much, much more than this, more than wishful thinking, more than wishful praying even. And it's more than simply hanging around for God to show up and do something for us. Hope, Advent hope, Christmas hope, is trusting, trusting, that God is going to do something. Hope is trusting not only that in God all things are possible, but also, and this comes from Jeremiah as well, that there is nothing too hard for God to do. I love what uh, Michael K. Marsh, who is an Episcopalian priest and writer out of West Texas, I love what he has said about this. To live in hope, he says, means remaining open to the future and refusing to let the present moment close in on us. It's a belief that the future is always better, not because it necessarily will be, but because it might be. The future, he says, holds a potential or possibility for something more and something better than the actual reality of the present moment. That's our hope throughout the season of Advent. Beloved, the promised righteous branch did in fact spring up. It took root in of all places an animal's feeding trough in the middle of a stable and back of an overcrowded inn situated in the middle of a very crowded and oppressed backwater town by the name of Bethlehem. But what we need to understand is that truly the birth of this holy child in a manger was in fact only the start of what God was about to do as he came to us and he abided with us. And furthermore, it's still only the very beginning of what God is about to do. At the heart of Christmas is hope, beloved. And it is a tenacious hope. A tenacious hope that even now seeks to bring light into our darkness and to counteract all the life-sapping, despair-inducing difficulties of our lives and all the seemingly endless cycles of injustice and unrighteousness especially amongst those who yield power in this world. I wonder if perhaps right now, as you're sitting here today and 
as the holiday season has begun, as I say, in earnest, maybe you're feeling a bit off kilter about it all. Maybe you're feeling caught between what Christmas ought to be versus how Christmas and life really is about now. Or, or else maybe you're trying so hard to make the season, no, never mind the season, to make life count for something. And it's so hard because even now, so much in that life just seems to be going wrong. I do know that for so many of us sitting here this morning, all the festiveness of this particular season has become intertwined with all the sadness that goes along with grief and loss and illness and uncertainty. I know that so many of us are worried this morning about the way things are in this world today. And I know that so many of us are beginning to, to feel like there's nothing ever going to work out and the future is just not good. And I know that so many of us are weighed down with a sheer burden of just trying to do what's right. To live with some measure of integrity and purpose. To love as we have been loved. To live faithfully, always in anticipation of the righteous kingdom to come. And, and we're doing so when it has become increasingly hard to do so. Well, I would say to you this morning, if you are in that place, then we need this light of hope. We all do. There are moments for each and every one of us when we need the word of consolation that only the Lord, who is our righteousness, can give. There are times for each one of us, perhaps even this morning, when we need to light the candle of hope so that we can understand to our heart of hearts that whatever else is happening around us right now, surely, surely the days are coming when the Lord will bring to fruition all the promises he has made. That in the midst of the darkest night, the dawn will break. That in the moments of our deepest despair, healing is beginning. It does take place. And in the worst of the world's unrighteousness, God's shalom will prevail. And that finally, after all the waiting, all the watching, all the preparing and getting ready, God's promised kingdom will burst forth and it will come to us in its fullness. And that soon, and very soon, a righteous branch will sprout. And at Christmas, true Christmas, mind you, a child will be born. Friends, my prayer for all of us today is that we find consolation in those sure and certain promises and that we be reminded of them this morning as we come to the table of our Lord, as we feast on the bread and share the cup, that we be consoled, that we find hope, and in that we may give thanks to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, at the heart of Christmas is hope.
It's part of our current sermon series, All About the Heart of Christmas, and it was recorded during our December the 3rd service of worship at East Church. By the way, especially now that the holiday season has begun in earnest, you are most certainly invited to join us in person for our worship here at East Congregational Church. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road. That's just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord, New Hampshire. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you, especially now as Christmas is fast approaching. And I know you'll be glad you came and shared part of the season with us. For now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. And as always, I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.